And that's, see, that's the part that I think is really important that we express right now, because, you know, you are in a later stage in your parenting. I'm, I'm in the teenage stage of my parenting right now, but we have to remember that the stuff that we do when they are in their preschool stages are helping them and practicing and preparing them for when they are a teenager and into their adulthood about making those healthy risks choices. Because we know teenagers take risks at their job. That's yes. what they do. We want them to be listening to themselves to decide what's a safe risk rather than listening to their friend. To be able to know for themselves, I'm responsible for my safety. Hello, this is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social-emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. Welcome to the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. Today, I have with me, once again, my partner in crime, Susan Rochino. Welcome, Susan. Thanks, Amy. So Susan and I are, of course, both um, social distancing right now, so we are um, recording this podcast to you from the comforts of each of our own homes. So we've got Susan on here by phone, so it might sound a little bit different on this recording, but that's just because we want to keep ourselves safe. Um, And so today, we are going to talk about risk-taking. Um, so this is actually a presentation that we have taken um, onto the road, onto actually several conferences um, that Susan and I have um, gone and presented at. But we thought we would bring it to you because we think that some of the information here um, is really important to um, just kind of let our families know as well of why we think this risk-taking through play is, is so important. So Susan, would you like to talk, kind of just get us started here and talk about um, kind of the context of, of our conversation today? Sure. Uh, you know, we know that every context is different. So what happens at home is different from what happens in school. And what we can do in our school may be different from what you can do in your school. Um, so we know that everything we can do and we do do um, might not apply to your situation. So we ha- there are a lot of supports we have in our school as far as being able to take risks. We have wonderful ratios. Our two-year-olds are one to five ratio threes are one to six and fours are one to seven, um, which you might not have if you're working in a center. And that allows us to be a little bit more risky, a little more supportive. Um, we have a supportive administration, obviously Amy and I are supportive, yay risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, if you're working someplace else, you're, that might not be something that your administrative is, administration is um, supportive of, and you might have to work on some education for that. Um, and also our history. Um, we have a history, a 51 year history at SYC. And our community, our families, um, and our teachers all support risk-taking, and that's part of why they choose to be with us. And our licensor also supports risk-taking and the things that we've done through the years. And we know that any of those things might get in the way of what risks you can take, but we hope that as you listen to us today, that you can think about what are some things that you can do, some ways that you can increase risk-taking in your environment so that you can improve, help with the learning that comes from that. So take what we have and think about how can you apply it? And so when we are looking at risk and talking about that in the classroom and in, in the school setting, you know, we're really looking about 
are at our relationships. They're really central to everything we do. You know, the, the teacher-child relationship, the teacher-parent relationship, and the parent and child relationship. Um, so, you know, we know that building relationships um, is important to do so through close and regular communication, through attentive listening, and really honoring each person for who they are and where they are as far as their development or where maybe they are um, just with their comfort levels and things. Um, and so relationships really allow us to provide that support and guidance in, in which children, teachers, and parents will feel free to take the risks and know that they'll still be liked or appreciated um, and welcomed. Yeah, and so those relationships are important and the other big part of what we do at SYC is play. So what we're talking about today is risk-taking through play. So we talk about free play. Um, that's something that's spontaneous. It's child-initiated. It's not a center where I said, this is what you're going to go play today. The child-directed, they decide who they're going to play with, for how long they're going to play with, where they're going to play with them. And because that play is, is intrinsic, it's freely chosen, when you pick what you're going to be doing, you're motivated. If you decide you really want to learn to play the guitar, you're going to be motivated to work your hardest and your optimal level of learning. Whereas if I tell you, hey, go learn how to play this thing, you're like, meh, you might not be working at your optimal level. So play is what children are driven to do. And because they're driven to do that, they're going to work at their best level of learning. Play helps kids develop social skills, memory, emotional awareness, problem solving, flexibility, all those sorts of things that are benefits in addition to the risk taking that they're going to take and helps them understand their world and their place in it. Where do I fit in? How do I fit in with the objects of the world, with the way the world works, with the people around me? So play provides all of that. And within that context, they feel safe, they feel motivated, and they're able to take those risks that are going to lead to learning. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up the motivated because, um, yes, when children or parents or when anybody is motivated to do something, it's because they want to continue to do something, right? They, they like it, they enjoy it, and it, it's going to keep them involved and keep them engaged. Um, so because children are engaged in play, um, they're going to be willing to take those risks. And we know that with risk, um, they're, they're able to then grow and learn. So if we think about um, three categories here, if we think about physical and we can think about social risk, and we can think about emotional risk. And within the middle of all that, of course, is going to be some conflict. Yay, conflict. Yay. Um, and so we can then t talk about um, risk. Let's, let's kind of define what we think risk really is here. Um, go ahead, Susan, sorry. So, sorry. so what we're talking about, risk is the probability and severity, severity of harm. So as a teacher or as a parent, my job is to balance the risk and the learning. My job is to keep you safe, but leave you enough room that you can try things that you can learn from them. So I want to make sure that you, it's not likely that you're gonna get really severely hurt, but there might be a small likelihood that you might get a little bit hurt, whether that's an emotional risk or a physical risk. So we think about a high risk activity. So crossing the street without looking, but looking you know, which, which way before you go. That's a high risk there's a pretty high likelihood that you're going to get hurt and a pretty high likelihood that you're going to be severely hurt. So how do I lower that risk? By looking both ways before I cross. Less chance of getting hurt and less chance of seriously getting hurt. In a school environment, a high risk would be if there's broken glass on the playground, right? If you get stuck on broken glass, that's fairly severe hurt and it's fairly likely to happen. But if I have mulch and rocks on the playground, yeah, you might stub your toe, you might get a splinter, 
not a very severe hurt and not a very high risk of it happening. So again, my job is to help for that lower risk, not to take away all risk, because we know that life is risky, things are gonna happen, even if you're saying be careful. My job is to lower that. And the last example I have is a climb, putting a climber, that the kids climb on like a swing set, over concrete. If you fall, good likelihood that you'll be hurt you know, severely, broken limb or something. But to put the climber over the sand or the mulch, I'm making it safer without taking away the risk of the ability to climb. So that's our job. How do we balance those two kinds of things? And knowing your kids help you figure out where that balance is, knowing your environment, um, and knowing what you're comfortable with. And I love the idea of, you know, as a caregiver to sort of, um, when we'll talk later about this, or but we want kids to be able to self, um, you know, risk assess. But as parents, as you said, it's our job to help them balance it. And so I like the idea of the caregiver thinking about things and, and four questions when this. So, you know, what's the worst that can happen? How likely is that to happen? How can we as the caregiver lessen the chance of that happening while you said while not taking that learning away? And is the learning worth the risk? So I think those are just kind of great questions to keep in mind when you are, are looking at something or, or wanting to provide that space um, for taking more of those risks. So I thought we could move into and start talking about physical risk taking. So if, if we look at defining um, physical risk taking, we talk about like, using your body in a way that there is a potential for failure or that you might get hurt. So if we think about what might be some physical risk takings, it might be things, you know, like climbing a tree outside. It might be climbing high onto the climber, um, coming down on the slide, getting uh, tumbling on a mat for doing tricks, or it could be, you know, taking a risk of riding a bike, things like that. Now, there's going to be different comfort levels for each child kind of based on what their uh, developmental stage is maybe um, some kids feel a lot more competent with their um, physical risk taking or just their physical ab abilities um, mm -hmm. and so there's definitely a range of, of comfort levels as far as as that physical risk taking yeah and for some kids it's not the actual like might getting hurt part but it they might be fear afraid that they're going to fail so you think about a kid standing up you know getting ready to swing a bat to hit a ball it's a physical risk but it's also emotional, right? Because mm -hmm. what if I fail and it doesn't work out or I'm trying to jump over this thing? What if I fall and I just can't do it? So like I said, it's different for different kids. I don't know um, whenever the last time you were like at a public playground, but, um, and at schools, you'll often hear this too. Um, you'll see a kid do something that looks a little bit risky, maybe standing at the top of the slide or going up the slide or getting ready to climb on something high. And you'll hear the adults yell, be careful. Mm -hmm. All the time, yes. right? Has it ever helped you if somebody yells, be careful? No, definitely no. not. Because it really, it's not giving you information. If I yell, be careful, it's implying that if you're careful, you won't get hurt, which we know is not true. Right. It's implying that I know better than you what you're capable of. Maybe you're feeling really secure right there at the top of the slide. You got this. But I'm saying, I don't think you've got this. And it also tells you that you should be looking to me before trying something new or risky. So if I climb up, I should go check with mom. Oh, is she worried? Because if she's worried, then I better not try it. And that's not an accurate judgment for what you can and can't do. So it leads to the sense of general anxiety when you just yell out, be careful. So we think about other things that we could say. What else could I say? I could say, do you feel safe? And just trusting the child to listen to their body and to feel, yeah, I'm pretty good here. Or nope, it's feeling a little bit wobbly. 
I can give specific information like, look behind you, there's a step right there, or I see that your shoes are right by the edge. Um, I can give specific information, which tells you what to look for, how to, how to assess your own judgment for your physical safety. And isn't that what we want when they go off into the world? Because, you know, we have them when they're real little, but Amy, as you know, when you get to um, elementary school and you're out on the playground, you're on your own as yeah. far as figuring out what to do. So you need to be able to assess your own safety and having teenagers, you know, you Ooh. want them to be able to listen to themselves, right? And that's, see, that's the part that I think is really important that we express right now because, you know, you are in a later stage in your parenting. I'm, I'm in the teenage stage of my parenting right now. But we have to remember that the stuff that we do when they are in their preschool stages are helping them and practicing and preparing them for when they are a teenager and into their adulthood about making those healthy risks choices. Because we know teenagers take risks at their jobs. That's yes. what they do. We want them to be listening to themselves to decide what's a safe risk rather than listening to their friend. To be able to know for themselves, I'm responsible for my safety. Now, yes, as an adult right now with, my, with little kids, it's my job to keep you safe. So I will make sure you're safe. I will make sure it's not a hazard. I will make sure that you're not going to put you in a situation where you are likely to be severely hurt. But it's up to you with my guidance to help figure out what is a risk? What is a safe risk? How, what can, when am I, is my body capable of? So by giving specific information, I'm helping you to listen to your body. And I'm telling you that you're capable. You can figure this out. I trust you that you can listen to your body. Now, part of that's knowing your own kid, right? Right. We know right. That there are risk takers at school. And there's some kids who will get in a situation where I'm like, whoa, I better be close by. And other ones, other ones that I know that they're capable. But I don't want to communicate to them that I don't have confidence with you. I'm just going to stand a little bit closer. And I'm asked some of the specific questions, not the general, be careful. And I have to say, and, and you know this too, having a driver in your house. <laughs> the one time right. I cannot seem to stop myself from saying be careful is when uh, teenage drivers and even my young adult drivers go off. I, I just can't help it. So yeah, I know it's hard. And, and that's one of those things, though, too, like with the driving here is that it's not only your own child that you have to worry about in those situations, but it's it's the other people. And I think that's why right. it's so hard for us. Like, I can't tell the other drivers to be careful. The only one I can tell is you. <laughs> and I know, and you know that you're being careful isn't going to make any difference, right. probably. But I'm going to say it. Yeah, but, and you know what? It might stop. make me feel a little bit better. And that's what I'm going to have to do. Um, so I just want to add in one thing here before I kind of talk about some um, of the physical risk taking that we do at SYC is I think it's also important, you know, we mentioned at the beginning that we have the relationships and um, that's important. Um, Just as parents that you have the relationship, you know, um, sort of where your child's skill and capabilities and comfort levels are. And so at, at SYC, you know, I'll tell parents, you know, the very first week in the classroom, I'm not going to set up the most elaborate climber or, you know, right. because I want to get to know your child. I want to see where their comfort levels are. Mm-hmm. W- then when we move in towards, you know, towards the, um, maybe the winter or, you know, post winter break, we might then start wanting to challenge them a little bit more with some of that physical risks. And that's because yes, we've developed that relationship. We know now where we can challenge them. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just an important piece to add, you know, especially if you have, if, if this is other programs listening and wanting to challenge that, um, you know, I think it's important for, for people to understand that it's about their relationships. It's not, um, something that I'm just going to kind of throw out there and be like, well, let's see what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's tricky sometimes at school, if there's a child who has been 
um, not allowed to take a lot of risks or has been led to believe by the adults around them that they're not capable of risks. That can be tricky, right? So we have to try to counteract that. They'll look at us to say, am I safe? And I'll say, I don't know. How's it feel? Mm-hmm. Do you feel safe? What can I do to help you? And try to help them build up that sense of confidence. So we need to be careful that we're not assuming that they can't do things that maybe they can. Right. Yeah. And it's trying to figure out, again, it's a balance as all of parenting is, isn't it? Walking that line. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so now we're going to move in and talk about rough housing. Um, I have to tell you, though, this is the real reason why my kids came to SYC. Um, I found out that they allowed for rough housing, and that was really what sold it for me because I, I was the mom of a young uh, active boy, and I knew that it was just in him to be active in rough housing and moving. And to see that there was a program that honored that just spoke to me. Um, so I just kind of want to talk about, again, what the benefits of rough housing are and how you can make it work um, in, in certain places. So um, the best way that we can keep it safe, though, is that when you're looking at um, if it's more than one child, um, is making it to be a mutual consent. So if you even have siblings, you know, I think it's important to, you know, take into account that there um, are different developmental ages and stages with that. But to Mm -hmm. also know that each child, though, has the opportunity for consent with that. Um, And that we uh, um, have children agree upon rules of the engagement of that. So we'll talk about, you know, in the classroom, if we get out the wrestling mat, you know, do you want to make any rules? And, And we'll hear, don't pull on my shirt you know, no, no shoes on the mat or, you know, no kicking, no kicking. Um, and then, you know, sometimes those teachers will add in some rules, you know, I'll say for me, you know, the rule I always add if they don't say it is okay. My rule is that if somebody says stop, we have to stop. Um, Yeah. Um, so kind of giving them what some guidelines are, but then just watching, um, and observing and allowing them to have that space. Most oftentimes you'll, you'll see, especially observing in our classroom, that we're watching the faces and the faces are mostly, you know, they're having fun, they're enjoying, they're giggling, they're laughing. When faces change, when we notice that there might be a change and maybe that's turned into being not so fun, is when mm-hmm. we're going to kind of check in with them and say, you know, you, are you still having fun? You know, you can say stop. You can tell them, I don't like that. Um, so that's just also giving them guidance on how to handle the, a, a situation that they don't like if something changes. Yeah, and often, we'll, especially the older ones, I might say, look at, look at their face. Do they look like they're still having fun? Maybe you can check and see if they are. So they're paying attention to each other as well. They're, and sometimes they look, they look mad. You say, you're having fun? They're like, yeah. It's their intense look. <laughs> right. But, but that, to get into the practice of when you're engaging with someone, check with them and make sure it's okay. And you have the right to change your consent at any point in time. Yes. Um, so, and there's great benefits to rough and tumble play. So there's the impulse and anger control. Because um, if you do something that's against the rules, this person's not going to wrestle with you anymore. Yeah. You've got to learn to kind of keep it under wraps. Um, the reading of the social cues where we talk about showing them the faces if they're unable to read those cues. Um, with this, with rough housing, really, it's a game where there's really no winners or losers. Although they're always playing, I'm a bad guy, you're a bad guy, or, you know, they might be playing that. But there really is no real winner or loser with that kind of game. Um, the self-image where a person can see themselves as strong and powerful when, when they're in these physical. Um, there's the risk-taking here. There's res- resilience. They're getting practice with setting limits and on the opposite of that, respecting a limit from what, what their, you know, maybe their wrestling partner um, said, don't, 
don't push me off the mat and the other person listens. So they're, they're getting that opportunity to set the limit and respect it. Um, and it's fun, 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 fun. And so let's go back and think about what are those four questions that we can ask, ask ourselves in a situation like this? What is the worst that could happen? Somebody might get hurt. That could happen. They might. And, and you know what? In all the years we've done it, the worst we've ever had is somebody got like their head bumped. Yeah. That's really. Put a little ice pack on it. Um, how likely is it to happen? Well, we always have a teacher there or a parent if you're doing this at home. Somebody is nearby. Somebody is guiding and watching. Um, how can we lessen the chances of this happening um, while not taking away from the children's learning? So um, putting a mat out, putting some soft pillows out, that's a way that you can lessen that risk but allow that to still happen. Agreeing to the rules so that everybody knows. And that way, if you do get bonked or something, you, you kind of were part of it and you can change the rules. Yeah. I think it's part of keeping it safe and having a teacher right there. And we always have a teacher right there right. Um, to make sure that, that, that it isn't going overboard and that everybody's still enjoying themselves. And is the learning worth the risk? Um, I think so. I, you know, we read all the benefits of, of rough and tumble play. And absolutely. I, and I absolutely think it's absolutely worth the risk. You know, and if you think these kids, especially like the three-year-olds, they are not that far away from when they learn pretty much everything through physical contact, right? You know, when they're really little, when you're a baby, everything you're taking in is through your body. And they often just crave that physical contact with someone else. Um, and I think it's so sad when there are places where you not only can't you roughhouse, you can't hug kids, you can't touch kids, um, you know, your hands stay to yourself or whatever those kinds of things are, they say. It's so unfortunate, Chris, for some kids, this is their primary means of connection with someone else is through physical contact. And if you think about it with adults in our society, there's so many of our adults who build relationships through that physical contact, through sport, through that kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's how you build a relationship. But if we take that away, that's one of those tools. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. So talking about tools, another risk taking that we take at SYC, particularly in the fours and the four fives class, is we have a workbench. And our workbench has real tools. We have hammers and nails. We have screwdrivers and screws. We have a hand drill. We have saws and a vise um, and glue gun. We can consider a tool mm-hmm. often out of that table. Um, and you look at it and you think, ooh, you know, real tools. Well, what do we do to minimize the risk? We have safety gear. Kids have to wear goggles when they're at the, um, at the tool bench. We have only two at a time to limit the space. Um, especially at the beginning of the year, we'll have a teacher being close by to kind of help teach skills for how you use the tool. How do you use a hammer? How do you use a drill and do it in a safe kind of way? One of those skills that we have um, to keep safe is with the saw, that if you're going to saw a piece of wood, the wood has to be in a vise and you have to have two hands on the saw and that keeps you from sawing near where your hands are. Um, And we have appropriate equipment. It fits the kids. It's sharp enough to work without because sometimes like a, a tool that's too dull is, is even more dangerous when, than one that's sharp enough to actually do its job. Um, so we have all the appropriate things right there and we have supervision, especially at the beginning of the year when getting to know our kids. And to be honest, there are some classes in which it takes too much supervision to be there just because of the kids in that mix and we might not get it out as often. And that's okay too. That's part of knowing your context. But the, the, um, the risk, so what's the worst that could happen? Somebody could, um, they could hit their thumb with a nail and that's happened to all of us, hasn't it? Yeah. We've all lived to tell the tale. <laughs> um, many times, some of us do it more than often. Right. <laughs> um, 
we have never had anyone get cut with a saw. We have never had anybody injured more than honestly a, a bump um, with a hammer or maybe a little tiny burn from a, from a glue gun. So it's not that big of a deal what that could happen, but the learning that happens from, from, happens from it, you feel so powerful when you can build something or make something, even if that something is a piece of wood with a couple of nails stuck out of it. Um, the, I had a kid once who built something he called a car and it had some nails and it had some bottle caps you know, didn't look anything like a car, but he was like, I made this and it's huge. Um, it's so important. Right. And what, I had a class one year, we have two vices on either end of the table, uh, the workbench. We had this long four by eight or two by four. I don't know what those are called a long piece of wood hooked between them. And over the course of a week, whoops, is that. Hello. I'm here. Hey, I'm here too, but I have an alarm going off. Oh, sorry. That's okay. We'll edit that. Okay. Um, so one time I had uh, a long piece of wood hooked up between the two vices and, um, my class worked over the course of a couple of weeks to saw through it. So they would go up to the middle of the, of the wood and they would put a saw and the kid would go <laughs> back and forth and phew, that was exhausting. And somebody else would come, I can help you. And they'd put the goggles on, they'd saw and all these different kids would help work, you know, work their way through this wood. And by the end of the week, we'd cut through the middle of the wood. And it was two pieces like, yeah, we did it. That was it. We weren't building nothing. We just cut our way through this wood and it felt so good to know that we were strong and we could do this thing. And it was so powerful. And, and that's all it took was a piece of wood and, and a saw. Yeah. I mean, I will add, uh, you know, one of the other benefits I think from, from having this honestly is attention span too, because right. I, I had um, the same thing this year. I had, I think it was a two by four I had out, but I had a child spend all day, one child all day on on cutting through that, that wood. And because they were motivated, right. They wanted it to happen. Yep. That's right. Yep. And nobody told them we didn't have to say, Oh, you need to work on this. It was all in the context of play freely chosen as long as you want doing what you want and how you want. And my job was just to make sure you didn't get hurt while you're doing it. And, and what great learning that happened. Absolutely. So, um, physical risk taking is what people usually think about first. Um, but now we're going to stretch you a little bit, I think, into some other kinds of risk taking. So Amy, tell us about emotional risk taking. Yes. So emotional risk taking. So putting yourself in a situation um, in which you might be uncomfortable um, and then allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. So an emotional risk, it could be, you know, asking somebody out on a date. It could be asking um, a friend if they'll sit by you at lunch um, or asking if you can play with somebody. So it, there is a lot of emotional mm -hmm. risk um, that happens with young children. And I think oftentimes that we, we don't view it that way as it um, taking risks. So why is it important for people to take emotional risks? Well, it's giving them practice. We know that there are going to be risks. Somebody might say yes, and they might say no. And, and that we want to help them learn how to manage that discomfort that, or that rejection that might happen um, because that's going to happen in life. Sure. So we know that we know that all feelings are okay. We firmly believe this at SYC. But good ones like being curious or proud or happy, those are great. We all love having those feelings. Um, but we also know that at some time in your life, you're going to have the uncomfortable feelings. Sometime in your life, you're going to be sad and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be mad, maybe all at once, maybe because you're stuck at home. Maybe you're going to be worried. We're going to have those feelings. Um, that's just part of being a human. But one of our goals at SYC is to make sure kids know that it's okay. All of those feelings are okay. You don't have to hide those feelings or be embarrassed of them or 
um, stuff them down, but, but those are feelings that are okay. The trick is feeling out, feel, deciding what to do with those feelings. You can have them, but how do you do it? So, um, some, it's hard for us, right? When we're yeah. around, go ahead. That's okay. So I was going to say, so I, I wanted to think about that when we are confronted around some of those difficult feelings, you know, you'll often hear adults say something like, you're okay. Um, oh, you don't mean that. You're not hurt. Don't cry. Come on, show me a smile. So we, we do something where we want to dismiss their child's, well, maybe we don't want to, I'm sorry, where we might unintentionally dismiss the child um, and their feelings and then try to distract them. Like we're uncomfortable with them going through that feeling. And so, you know, I think we really need to look at this as not trying to fix a feeling, but to really just allow children to have their feelings and to go through their feelings. You know, I've said this in, in a couple of other podcasts, um, but feelings don't have time limits. I think it's so interesting how we um, as adults will tell children to stop crying because it's uncomfortable for us, but we would never go over to a child and tell them to stop being happy. We would never right. say you've been happy for too long. Like you need to stop being happy. So I think we just need to look at that and recognize that, you know, we don't want to dismiss those feelings. We don't want to distract them by their feelings, but just ride the wave, ride the wave um, of those feelings. Um, and so I know that we, we acknowledge and accept a child's feelings and all of their feelings, but what do they learn from that? Well, I think when they accept all those feelings, they learn that they can be their whole true selves with us and that we can handle it. Yeah. You know, I think when we dismiss their feelings and we're telling them, I'm uncomfortable with your sadness. I'm uncomfortable with your anger and you need to get through it because I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's not really helpful. And if you think about it, I mean, it doesn't help me as an adult. I don't want someone, if I come home from, from work and I say I had a really cruddy day, I don't want my partner saying to me, oh, you're fine. It was yeah. fine. You're going to be good. You're fine. Just, I mean, just be happy. Just get over it. Yeah. Then I go from sad to being mad. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not helpful. What I want is someone to listen. I want somebody to say, man, that really is awful. I'm sorry that happened to you. I might want some problem solving, but probably not at first. Mm -hmm. um, I just want some empathy from someone. I want someone to sit with me through it until I get through it. That's yeah, what I mean. I love that. I always think about um, Brene Brown anytime yeah. with that. Like, I just want somebody to sit with me um, with my feelings. Um, and so if we acknowledge and accept a child's feelings, all of those feelings, um, they learn that they don't have to hide their feelings. Right. They don't have to be happy all the time and their family will still love them. Yeah. It's okay to feel all sorts of ways. And I think this next one is really important, but feelings come and go. And right. al although something in the moment might feel like it is going to last forever, it won't. Feelings are going to come and go. Um, and and that, what an important message, right? Yes, you're sad now, but you're not going to be sad forever. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Be sad as long as you need to, but it'll go away just like anything else. And yeah, good feelings will go away after a while too, but that's just the nature of how things are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kids will learn that people will listen to them. Mm, um, how important. Yeah. And that their feelings and ideas are important. Right. And they'll know how to express their feelings. Um, without hurting anybody or anything, if, if we have that practice and learning with that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've got a couple of quick little stories about, um, about some times that we, some ways that we accept kids' feelings. Uh, one of them is how we handle separations. So um, at SYC, if your parent has to leave and you're sad, that is totally okay. You can be sad. You can be sad for a little while. You can be sad for a long while. 
you could be mad because sometimes you're mad your parent had to leave you. Um, and I'll sit with you if you want company throughout that. Um, we often use letter writing or sign writing as a means of helping kids with feelings. So if a kid is sad that their parent had to leave, I might help them to write a picture. Um, here's mom when she had to leave. Here's her car when she got in her car. And they say, where did she go? And they'll usually say Target or Kroger, although these days, who knows? Um, and then here she is when she comes, mom's coming back at Goodbye Circle. And here's your face. And you'll have this big smile on when you see mom when she comes back. And telling that story again and again says, it's okay to be sad and it's not going to last forever. And I'm here with you while you're here, while you're sad. And you can tell me about it and you can be mad and you can draw angry pictures and, and I'll be here. But, but my calmness and my not rushing you through this tells you that it's okay and tells you that I can handle it. I can hold these big feelings for you that might feel overwhelming. Um, and by being able to be the one to be there for you, we're building this relationship where you know that you can trust me. Um, and eventually kids get to a point where they're ready to write their own note to their own signs. They have that story going in their head. Mom left, she's going home or she's going to Target and then she's gonna come back and they can re re retell it to them themselves again and again and again until it becomes part of, part of who they are. Knowing that this is happening, I might not like it, it's gonna be over and I can go ahead and go on with my day. And it can start to be their internal dialogue. Right. Right, that's really our just, goal. Right, mm -hmm. that they're telling themselves ahead, mom's leaving, she's coming back. And sometimes, with, especially with the younger ones, we'll see it because they'll talk it out to us or draw out their own stories. Um, older ones, it's, it's happening internally, but this is something they can rely on, not just right now, but in, in future situations. Absolutely. Um, and so I want to I want to take take you guys down another little road of another little story and then and talk about um, because this is a story you know that could be told almost probably every day in a classroom at SYC. Um, but if, you know, uh, a child who w wants to play with another group of children um, and maybe was rejected and, and we're, we're not sure, you know, really wh why the rejection might have happened. Of course, you know, we're, we are as the caregivers and, and the, you know, um, teachers in their lives at school are going to kind of um, check in on both sides, maybe try to do a little bit of more digging and to find out maybe why it happened. But we're not just going to um, force the rejected child to just get over it. Um, you know, there's there's lots of different tools and things that we can give them and guide them through um, that emotional challenge for them. So it mm -hmm. might might be where we would, you know, kind of name the feeling. Um, but asking questions for it, we might say something like, you look um, mad or you look sad. Um, or we might say, your face is red. You know, there are tears in your eyes. Are you sad? So we might name the feeling or ask questions about what their feelings are. And help them connect their body to those feelings. So they might not know the name for what they're feeling. But when your face is red and there are tears in your eyes, this might be the feeling that's going along with it. Right. Um, and then to empathize, you know, that you might say something like, um, you really wish that they would play with you right now, but they, they said no. Um, and then, you know, it, you would state a limit if there was this interaction where the child was rejected and maybe they reached out um, and, and physically maybe wanted to hit or push because they were angry at the rejection, then we would step in um, and set a limit. So we would say people and things aren't for, for hurting. It's okay to be mad, sad, angry, but I can't let you hit. Um, and so we can then find an alternative way to express that feeling. So it might be a physical outlet. Um, we might grab some bean bags and somebody could throw bean bags down at the floor. It might be ripping up paper. So that would be also giving them some kind of sensory outlet. Um, 
maybe um, giving them a pillow or something that they could wrestle with and smush their body on. Um, you know, I know when I'm angry that I, I have a physical reaction that I want to physically get something out. Um, and so that I can totally relate to that with children with, you know, let's get them a pillow or something to hit or kick because they're so angry. Um, yeah, I had a mom once who the kid came home, was overwhelmed at the end of the day, would run in circles around the house. Yeah. And they run in circles around the house three or four times. And by then, they kind of worked it out a little bit, the madness, and they're ready to move on to what's next or into a problem-solving part. Wow. For some, some people are like that. Yeah. Um, and then we can then also write down their feelings. So we're then connecting that print um, and, and the language with that feeling. So it's also, um, helping them with that feeling. But then, like we said, we're not solving the problem necessarily as you need to stop being upset that you were rejected and told you can't play. It's here's what we can do with that feeling now. And then, you know, there might be an opportunity for them to take that risk again and ask that group of children to play later. And, and the results could be the same. They, the group might say yes, and they might say no. Um, but then we'll have more practice with tools that we can use to, to manage some of that um, discomfort. And I think, I think writing it down for any of these things, it validates it. If I value your feelings and your anger and whatever your experience enough to write it down in words, that says it's important. And kids pick up on that. You know, if I write down exactly the words you say, so that means that it's something important and it's valued. And um, that does a whole lot to help somebody feel heard. Um, and then for some people, a creative outlet is what they need. So building with clay or drawing or um, creating something or writing once you're old enough to do that. Um, some people might have that sort of thing. One of my kids, um, their um, anger outlet was um, drawing. They would draw pictures um, and that would help them to get through it. When I was a kid and I would get mad at my mom, I would um, get a piece of paper and I'd write down all the bad words I knew, which was like maybe four. <laughs> I didn't have a really big cursing vocabulary, yeah. but I would write them all down. And then I would tear it up in the tiniest little pieces so she wouldn't find them in my garbage. So I was kind of creative and kind of physical. Um, but that helped me to get the feelings out. Well, I have to share a funny story about that now, a personal story. So um, when my son was in kindergarten and they were, you know, first learning how to spell and write, you know, they go through the inventive spelling Um without a right. And I remember one day I had told him it was time to come inside. You know, we were going to have dinner or whatever. It was time to, to be done playing outside. And he was so mad at me that I had put this, you know, this limit on him that he grabbed the sidewalk chalk and wrote big on the driveway, I hat you. And <laughs> it's just such a, it's just, now it's a funny story, but I loved it because he was connecting that writing into a feeling and, and, you know, he came to SYC for two years and here he was already, you know, in kindergarten using these skills on, on, on his own. And now, you know, with him being 17, every once in a while, if, if we'll tease each other and I'll say, are you mad at me? Do you hat me? You know, <laughs> and we get a giggle out of it now. Um, and we know that yeah. the, that most of these risk taking though they're all like intertwined, right? There's so much that it's sometimes hard to separate the emotional, the social, um, and some sure. of that physical risk taking. But would you take us down and start talking about um, social risk taking? Yeah, this is another one of these areas that I don't know that I always thought about it as being risk taking. But if you think about it, if you're putting yourself in a situation in which you might make others or yourself uncomfortable. That's a social risk, right? Standing up in front of a crowd is a social risk. Asking someone to play and they might say yes or they might say no. Um, making or trying to make a friend. Um, setting a limit on a, on a friend is a social risk. 
there are, or there could be consequences that you could be uncomfortable or they could. Um, and allowing yourself to be in a situation where you're uncomfortable, not stopping yourself from doing it because of the, uncom- the discomfort. Those are all kind of forms of social risk-taking that we think about at school. Um, and in our lives, you know, we have to take social risks. You have to try things that are new in which things might go wrong or you'll always be doing the same thing all the time, mm-hmm. right? That's, it's a chance to, ta- to try things new. And we want, we know and hope that SYC is a safe place where kids can take those social risks, where they know that they'll be caught if something goes wrong, that we'll be there to support them, that they're not going to be laughed at or ridiculed. We want to provide that support and give these chances to do social risk-taking here now where it's supportive rather than out in the rest of the world later when it might not be as supportive. Yeah. So I've got two big pieces that I think about here with with social risk-taking. Um one's not going to be too much of a big surprise for, for our SYC families, but for others out there listening, um, sharing, sharing Mm. is a a social risk, um, and rejection. And so I often liked people to, because I'll, I'll hear this all the time outside, outside of usually my SYC committee, but I hear, um, sharing is caring, you know, everybody, you have to share because it makes you nice. It's the kind thing to do. It's the kind thing to do. Um, and with rejection too, I will say that oftentimes as adults, we carry on our own baggage that we have from rejection, which, mm-hmm. which typically, typically the rejection that we're still holding on to might be from middle school, from high school and mm-hmm. on, not so much from our early childhood times. So I just, right. I just want to bring that perspective. Um, and so I think it's important when you're thinking about these two topics to think about kind of, you know, starting with what were you taught as a child? You know, were you taught that you had to share? And then, you know, think about how did that feel for you? If you, what if you were using something and you were told that you had to share? Um, mm-hmm. Did you want to share? Um, was, you know, do you like being told, you know, you've, you've had that long enough at somebody else's turn, or I love the example, you know, I've heard, I've heard you say this before, if there's a child, um, you know, playing in the sandbox at the park and they're using one of the, the park shovels and then they're told to share with somebody else. And it's like, well, well, why they're, they're, right? they're using it. Yeah. And I've seen that before, like some stranger kid that they don't even know comes up and then the parent will say, oh, share with him. And you're thinking, why would he share this thing? that he brought for himself that he's in the middle of using with somebody he doesn't know. And right. if you think about it, as a, we don't expect that as adults, right? right? As adults, we don't share things that are personal or valuable. I don't share my laptop. I had once had somebody ask me to share um, a ponytail tie that I was actually wearing, and I thought, ew. Yeah. Um, I, I don't share my car with somebody I don't know. My toothbrush. Um, toothbrush, bleh. Yeah. Um, so things that are personal or valuable, like a child's lovey. You wouldn't expect them to share their lovey with someone. Right. We don't share things as adults with people we don't trust. Yeah. So if I've, if I've loaned Amy something of mine, maybe I loaned her a book and she sent it back to me and the pages were folded down, which I can't stand. Some people do that, but I can't stand that. Then I might not share my books with her again right. because she didn't treat my things the way that I wanted them to be treated. And I don't readily share things as adults with, until we're finished using them. Right, Amy? If you're in the middle of using something and I come up and I say, oh, you're reading that book. I want to use it. Right, right. You're going to say, no, 
I'm using it. So if there are if there are listeners that are listening to this that are um, of people in, in other early childhood programs, I would ask you to think about what your rule is in regarding to sharing or rejection, and then to really ask yourself to, to really think about and can you articulate the reason why? What what, yeah. what is the why? What what's important to you about those things that that's happening? Um, and is it helpful? And and who's Whose needs, if, if, if it's maybe helpful to the kid who wants the other kid to share that, is that worth the cost to the kid who's using it right now? You know, and if yeah. you, a lot of places have rules of like, oh, five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Well, there are a couple of problems with that. One is that we tend as adults, and I know I do this as a parent all the time, tend to manipulate time to our own benefit. Totally. So we'd be at, we'd be at the playground and I'd say, okay, we have five more minutes. And then if I'm bored and ready to go, then maybe a minute later I'd say, okay, it's time. Right. And if I started talking to my friend and we got distracted, it might be 20 minutes later. Yeah. So time really means nothing. Um, and who's to say that I'm, that the kid's going to be done with it in five minutes or five swings or five whatevers, you know, but Susan, I, I, it's, it's so much ahead. easier because I don't want to deal yes. with the conflict. Yes. Oh, but the conflict is where the learning happens, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you might think that your kids couldn't handle waiting, but they're not going to handle waiting unless you expect them to wait at times. It's amazing. Even in the two-year-old class. Um, so these are most kids' first, ex- first experiences being with a group of kids other than their siblings. Um, but a kid will come up and want something somebody else has. They might grab it because that's what you do when you're two before you have words. And will say, oh, it looks like they're using it. You can have it when they're done. So we'll get a piece of paper. Maybe it's a truck. I'll draw a picture of the truck and I'll say, here's your name. This means it'll be your turn when she's all done with it. And I, I swear, it doesn't take more than a couple of weeks of school before Absolutely. they figure out. Once your name is on that list, that means something. And I will come get you. And you might decide you don't want it then. But I will come get you. The list sometimes lasts for uh, weeks. Like for the hose, when you're the boss of the hose, nobody wants to give that up, understandably, because that's pretty it's powerful. the most fun. Um, it is the most fun. And that list might, might last for, for two weeks of school. But by God, I will come to you when your name is on that list. I'll say, hey, your name was on the list. And now it's your turn. Do you want it? Um, and once you know what it feels like to really own it, you don't have to own it because you know that your, your turn will come again. Right. And I, I think it's, you know, when we think about turn taking, like the adult look of, of what turn taking is, it would be like the, the library reserve list. So like yeah. if you, there's a book you want to read, then you might um, log into your local library and then put yourself on the reserve list. And then when it's your turn, you get to have a turn. Now, sometimes they put time limits on that, but they do. yeah, that's, that's, a, that's the adult stuff. We can handle that as adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just think it's 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 important to um, to honor that the the list having their name written down helps. Like I would even use that at home, Susan. I have two kids, mm-hmm. and I would I would make lists or just write something down um, just for the power of them knowing that I'm not going to forget. Um, and if I do, you've seen where I've written this, and you can point it out to me, and they will. They will. <laughs> it's accountability. You're hold, they're holding yourself and them accountability. Yeah. And and it's not always easy. So you might be sad and you might be mad and that is okay. I won't let you harass the person whose turn it is while you're mad or sad. I might move you to a different part of the room if it's if it's bothering them because I don't want people to feel guilted into giving up their turn. But I can help you find something else to do if you need help. Yeah. I can assure you that when it's your time, you can have it as long as you want. Oftentimes, if we have a child who comes into us as a four-year-old who's been somewhere else before, 
and they haven't been, you know, been at SYC, they'll say, I'm going to keep it forever. And I say, totally, you yeah. can keep it forever. And they never do. But once you know that you can, you don't have to. It's such a, it's such a powerful thing. And yes, there might be more conflict at first. But over time, once you get the hang of it, I really think it leads to less. Yeah, and and let's uh, just gonna name some other things that children are are gaining and learning um, by turn taking versus sharing. So they're getting the opportunity to learn that the rules for keeping a toy are fair, um, and that kids can understand them. Meaning they don't understand, um, you know, oh, you've had it for five, five minutes, minutes or yeah, right or four pushes on the swing or whatever. Right. Um, they learn that they have rights and that they can stand up up for themselves with, um, and and adults will support them. They have the right to say, I'm using it right now. Right. What a powerful thing to be able to say. Yeah. Um, and they, they can learn how to wait, that impulse of, of waiting, which we all know waiting has to happen in life. And I think that, you know, even as adults, we still need some practice with learning how to wait. Um, yep. But they will can learn how to con- kind of practice those impulses and trust that someone will come and get them when it's their turn and that we care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, that adults honor and believe that what they're doing with that item is important. Um, and that when they decide if they want to share, you know, I, we, I, I always need to say this at the beginning. If a child is sharing, if a child chooses mm-hmm. to share something, awesome, fantastic. If they are choosing that, then that's great. I, what we're more fo- focused on is the forced um, sharing. Um, so when a child decides that they're done with something and then wants to give it away, that also feels good to them because they've learned that their turn and time was valued and now they can give it away to, to the next person. You know, and I would argue that's what true sharing is. True sharing is willingly giving it to somebody, not having somebody grab it from your hand and give it to somebody else because your five minutes is up. That's not, that's forced. I don't know. Sharing isn't the word I would use, right? Sure. Sure. But sharing means to give willingly. Yeah. And, and, and we give children the ability to be able to do that and the, the environment in which that's something that they have an ability to do because we're giving them the chance to have as long as they want until they're done and they're ready to say it's yours. Right. So then if we move into rejection here, which I mentioned. That's a tricky one. It is. It's tricky. And, it's, and I want parents to know, too, that it's also tricky for, as, for, as teachers for us to witness and, and watch that. Um, but we know we want to give them the space um, to practice because it's, it's going to happen in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's important to think about as a kid, you know, did you get to decide who you played with or were you always, you know, did, were you told who you had to play with? Um, you know, we mostly, we mostly um, at my house, there was four of us. And for the most part, we were allowed to pick who we wanted to play with. Yeah. I think. Okay. Well, but sometimes it was it was different at school or it's different in the neighborhood than it might be in your family. And this is where we're talking about context as well. Right. Um, as an adult, I'm curious, Susan, do you get to decide who you spend your time with? Sometimes. Sometimes. So on my free time, I can choose who I want to spend time with, right? Yeah, I can choose right. to, who I want to call to get it together or just Zoom together. Yeah. Um, but there are times at which I don't get to pick. So I work with the people I work with. It happens to be that I like them. But um, that's not a choice of people that you work with. Right. Sometimes. Um, so I have to be able to do both. Right. I yeah. have to be able to engage with people I want to be with, but also know how to handle it when I don't. Yeah, Susan, you have to be able to engage with the person that you share an office with, even if during the COVID <laughs> you, have, you, you have to share this podcast with me. Um, 
No, I, I just thinking about though the like you said as adults that you're getting to decide those things. Like, it, would you yeah. want to invite somebody to go to the movies um, who would just sit there and talk to you the whole time during the movie if this was an important movie that you wanted to go to? If I wasn't if I wasn't married to him, then no, I would. <laughs> but <laughs> but you're right. There are right. certain people that I would like to do certain things with, and other people I wouldn't. Right, um, and, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's okay to say you you don't have to like everyone. You you don't. Um, go ahead. You were gonna say everyone. I say every once in a while when we're doing this presentation, some I was like, do you like everybody? And someone raised their hand. I'm like, really, really <laughs> like everybody? Right. Honestly, there are some people I just don't care for. We don't get right. along, and and there's nothing wrong with that. We just don't mesh. Right. I have to I have to be able to work with them. Maybe. Yeah. I have to be able to get along with them in the grocery store if there's behind the counter if the person next to me in line. Um, if they're my neighbor, I have to work with them, but I don't have to play with them or spend my free time with them. Right. As adults, we're allowed those privileges of choosing who we spend our time with. It. Yeah. So I think, you know, you don't have to like everyone, but you do have to be decent to everyone. You know, right. okay, I'm going to just go a little bit off here. Um, I, I have a family rule. Uh, our family motto is, I'll, I'll lighten it up here, Susan. I know you know what it is. I'll make it a little <laughs> bit nicer for this podcast. Our family rule is, don't be a jerk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be a jerk. Now, and you can put whatever word you want in there for jerk. You could. Yeah. You could put something else. Um, although I've had to adjust it and add to it. Don't be a jerk unless you have to. Meaning I don't want my kids to just be somebody that will allow somebody to walk over them just for the sake of right. not being a jerk. But, you know, within the context of what the situation is, you know, you don't have to like everybody, but be decent. Yeah. And, and, and kids need to learn that um, rejecting someone or setting a limit on them is sometimes necessary. Yes. You know, that you don't, if somebody's abusing you or not, or, or taking advantage of you or not being kind to you, you have a right to set a limit and responsibility, I would even say, to set a limit in those people. So that's part of what we're talking about with rejection, with rejection is we want kids to learn how to choose their playmates, how to be a playmate that people are going to choose to be with, right? If you're not going to play along, if you're going to, be someone who disrupts the play or who gets distracted or who makes it hard for the story to go on. Kids might not want to play with you. And that might need a lesson you need to learn that we can help you with, mm-hmm. but you get to choose who you're going to be with. Um, I think it's, um, and that goes back to one of our other conversations. We don't call everybody friends because just because you're all four and in the right. same class doesn't necessarily mean you're friends. Right. So there are a lot of good reasons why ch- ch- children might choose to exclude someone um, if you've been around young children, especially like twos and threes, sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes you can just handle one person and negotiating with a third person is more than you're socially or intellectually able to handle. You might just be in a point where you're in a parallel play. We're just playing next to each other. And if someone else comes in, it might just be too hard. You can't handle it. Um, sometimes it's safety. Kids like to often snuggle up into tight places like inside of a box or inside of a tent or inside of um, like a fort. Mm. And if it feels unsafe and too crowded to have an extra kid in there, then they might say, no, you can't come in. And that's legit, right? I mean, we would feel the same way if it's too crowded. Um, Sometimes they might feel like the play ideas they're protecting. So if, if you and I are playing ponies and somebody comes in and they're a dragon, we might want to keep our idea with what it is and we might not want to be adjusting our play and, and that's okay. Um, and you think about it too. Um, when you start a new relationship, so maybe you and I are just getting to know each other as friends and we're wanting to go out and have a dinner together, go to a movie. And then one of your friends calls and say, Hey, can I come along? 
we might want to do just you and I for a little while because mm-hmm. we're just building this new relationship. Um, and the third person might be make it kind of complicated just for kids in the same way as it is for us. So there's a lot of really legitimate reasons why children might choose to exclude someone. But then Amy, people worry about it, don't they? They do. They do. They worry about it. Um, but we need to think about that this is going to give them practice for handling rejection for later in life when they don't have that adult or caregiver around, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to get rejected from jobs, from dates, from Bur- birthday parties. They want to be friends with. Yep. Birthday parties for sure. Um, and so at SYC, children have a right to choose their own playmates. Um, but there are ways that because we're there that we can help them handle that. So again, this is where we want to give them the practice because we are there now with them so that when they don't have that adult or caregiver around. Um, and so when we think about a child who um, might ask another playmate or wants to ask somebody to play, we can acknowledge that there is a social risk to the child. You know, we can tell them, you know, they might say yes and they might say no. Um, so acknowledge. And we do it in a very matter, in a very matter of fact kind of way. Yeah, yep. They might say, yeah, they might say no. Right. I'm not putting a lot of emotion into it. I'm not saying it's a big problem. <gasps> they might say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe yes, maybe no. And, and I've articulated this to other people too about like, hey, asking somebody on a date might say yes and they might say no. You know, yeah. Apply for a job. They might say yeah. And they might say no. That's right. Um, and then you can listen to the feelings on both sides. So you could say to one child, "I wonder why you said they couldn't play," um, and then maybe saying to the child who was rejected, "You look sad. You really wanted to play with them." Mm-hmm. We can guide children to say um, no without hurting feelings. Um, meaning maybe getting like, because we're asking those questions, why, why did you say they couldn't play? It might be because we're playing ponies and we don't want the dragon. So we can have them and guide them on maybe giving more information about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, maybe it's that they just want to play with themselves, um, and, and not with the toys or they, they're just wanting to play, um, in that area and, and not want to play with the child at that moment, but, but then maybe they can ask them to play later. Mm-hmm. We might, especially as kids are older, like this is, these are like more in five, four and five year old sorts of things. But yeah. that's also when we see a lot of the rejection is fours and fives because they're experimenting with that social power of being the person who says no. And you're this definitely in the fours class. We get a lot of practice about who they're going to sit with at lunchtime. So mm-hmm. there's often. Um, that kind of, I mean, kids will start thinking about it at like 11, like prior to even getting cleaned up. But again, I want that to happen because I want to practice this. Um, But we can maybe help them come up with a plan for later for asking a child to play later. Mm -hmm. Um, We can help the rejected child um, move on when they're ready. So we might need to sit with them for a little while, or as we mentioned in the story earlier, you know, giving them some kind of outlet for that. And then, you know, then guiding them to help them move on when they're ready. If it is a child who we think might be chronically rejected, um, then we, we might need to do a little bit more social coaching. So we might need to um, encourage them maybe to bring a prop to the play, maybe guide them into how to, to get into that play with, with the group. Um, I, you know, before I've had a, that where I've actually jumped in and then started playing with that child to make them um, more of, of an exciting playmate than that would bring some other kids into it. So they just might need a little bit more social coaching, which as, as the adults in their life, that's our job to, to kind of guide them and, and help them with that. Well, and I think when you're jumping in and playing with them too, you're doing a couple of things. You're making them a more desirable playmate. 
but you're also modeling for them how to be a good playmate, how to adapt yourself to the play that's happening, how to find your in, how to follow the story. And you're giving them the support. So if they start to do something, maybe it's a kid who's, um, who's very unpredictable and will just kind of fly off the handle. Um, you could be there to help, help kind of guide that. Say, oh, wait, hang on. Remember, we're playing this thing. Maybe we could try this. And give them those on at the moment cues that they need to support them through. So you're helping in the short term to be able to play, but you're also teaching them those skills one, you know, as in the, in the context of when it's happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, as we mentioned that there's so much of this social, emotional, physical, they're all kind of interconnected there. And like we mentioned at the very beginning, you've got that conflict. And so, um, conflict is really going to be where all this learning happens but if they're not feeling motivated to take mm-hmm. take the risk then they're missing out on that on a big piece of their learning there um and so you know Susan did you have anything else that you wanted to make to add or or anything to any of our uh, pieces here about social rejection emotional um or, or not rejection I'm sorry uh risk taking <laughs> risk taking I made a mistake um you yeah. did it's okay um, did you, um, go ahead. Yeah. The one thing I would, I would, I would, um, if you're, if you're hearing this, you know, and in, in your, in your, um, what's the word hackles are rising. You're like, ah, this <laughs> is too much. What if, what if they get their feelings hurt? What if they fall down and skin their knee? What if, you know, they show that they're sad and somebody laughs at them. Um, if, if, if you're feeling super sensitive about this, um, I would suggest that you try to spend some time with that feeling in yourself and figure out, um, why you're so uncomfortable with these feelings. Um, and maybe this is something that, that you need to think about for yourself. How can I be more comfortable with the risk? Because if you're not comfortable, then they're not going to be comfortable. It's hard to um, put out the vibe of being, okay, you know, not a big deal. So you might fall down. So you might have, it's hard to do that if you're not feeling it in yourself. So I'd say start with some baby steps, some little steps towards allowing this risk to happen. And, and the more you do it, the more you'll see that it's not a big deal. The worst isn't going to happen that there are things you can do to make the, the negative consequences, potential negative consequences at risk minimized, will still have all that opportunity for learning. And then the pride you see in someone's face when they've taken that risk and it's worked out is so worth that minimal chance of something negative happening. Uh, so I just question and think about it in yourself, where that's coming from. Um, if this is something that really gets to you, um, and spend some time with that. I have to, sh- I have to share a story about this then. Uh, this just made me think of, of something that happened uh, recently. So we had um, in the fours class, we set up um, the, the A-frame climber one time. Um, it's that big metal A-frame climber. It's pretty tall. I mean, it's from like the 60s, I'm pretty sure, from the, when the school first opened. Um, and, and we had it, you know, this was in the middle of the year at this point when we had this set up. Um, and we had it connected to another tall climber and I had witnessed a girl climbing, uh, attempting to climb up the A-frame climber. And and the goal, what the kids typically do, is that they want to climb up um, the climber and then kind of turn around on the top and then come down and climb down the other side. Um, And like you said, it's pretty tall. And so there was a child who I saw would climbed all the way to the top, and then she didn't know what to do, and she felt kind of stuck. Now, I easily could have run over there and just lifted her off and said, are you okay, are you okay, and dismissed her goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did was just move closer to her. And then I started to kind of give some cues and just say, you know, that 
um, I, you know, I see, I wonder if you put your hand here, you know, could you then um, turn your body and, and move your hips this way? Um, and so then I just kind of gave her the confidence that I, I'm here next to you. So mm-hmm. I, I know that you can do this and, and I'll stand right here while you do that. And, and during this time, then another line of kids start coming over and wanting to climb because this was the you know exciting climber day. And they patiently waited while this child spent their time and took the risks to climb up and over. Um, now, the other group of kids learned that they got to wait and take turns and practice that impulse control. And, mm-hmm. and this other child learned that, okay, how, how will she learn and be able to do this if she doesn't get the practice to do it? Um, and so because we had the opportunity to take the time and to stand with her and to give her support, she did it. And her face afterwards was so excited because you had seen that she had been wanting to, to be able to do what everybody else was doing with this climber. And, and it was just such a, a great um, moment in knowing that we were able to provide that experience for her um, at SYC. That is wonderful. And the other kids got to see her working hard at something and figuring it out. What a great message all around. And I think that's why they were so patient because normally, I mean, you know, fours and fives and three, they're not always patient waiters, but I think that they could sense with their peer that this was something that she was really working on. And so Mm -hmm. then they gave her and allowed her that space. It was, it was awesome. That's a lovely story. Physical risk-taking. It was social a little bit because she was holding up her friends it was emotional because she was scared it's a great story to wrap it all up with so thank you susan for for joining me on this uh day of quarantine at least the sun's out today so uh we can we can get a little bit of spark in our life today with that and and take a different kind of a risk yeah we'll take a different kind of risk (laughs) thanks for talking with me amy i enjoyed it all right thank you bye thank you for joining us this is Amy Radowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.sycolumbus.org.